Today on The Topping Show, Elon Musk tells advertisers who left Twitter X to go F themselves and he will not be blackmailed. Mark Cuban sells his stake in the Davos Mavericks. Vivek on climate change agenda goes viral. The UAW deal to cost General Motors $9.3 billion. JP Morgan Chase, CEO, says businesses should support Nikki Haley for the Republican nominee. GM thinks their stock is undervalued and plans to do a stock buyback of about $10 billion. AWS and NVIDIA to team up for AI supercomputer infrastructure. Disney CEO claims that their legacy TV channels are not for sale. And Farfetch's stock crashes by about 50% last week. All of that much is more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of December, so if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have GM CEO saying that their stock is undervalued and they plan to buy back around $10 billion in their stock. Now, this, as a company, continues to struggle with not just the union ever exponentially increasing their cost of goods sold with, via the labor cost, but also their stock's been rudimentarily mediocre to say the least. When you look at the stock trends, we're going to look at the GM stock. In the past five years, it's down 16.05%. You look at the past one year, General Motors stock is down at 21.45%. Year to date, they are down 5.8%. Past six months, they're about the same, only down by 1.7%. In the past month, they actually up, increased by 12.96%. Now, one of the reasons, and we'll dive into the article in the New York Minute here, but one of the reasons I'm a little pessimistic about this because, well, their whole vision is EVs. The CEO, Mary Barr, is very adamant about competing with Tesla. And presumably, she's not inebriated in any way. She's actually speaking with cognitive ability when she's saying these things. And Cadillac is on track to be full EV by 2030, with the full GM fleet to be full EV by 2035. This, as the adoption rates for EVs, especially in the United States, are decreasing exponentially. People are buying more EVs, but the rate at which the adoption is dramatically decreasing. And a lot of people are starting to look into hybrids more often than not which is why I think Toyota made a good bet when they started to invest so much into hybrid battery technology and building out that infrastructure. Although, my three cents, if you want a great ROI, or, you know, a vehicle that'll last actually more than seven years, one that'll last you a quarter of a century and a million miles, I still just get a internal combustion engine with, oh, presumably with three pedals, also known as manual transmission. Not only is it infinitely more fun, it's the best experience you ever have with an automotive, I would argue, but also go faster in Japanese engineering. Those things will last, like I said, darn near a quarter of a century, a million miles. My family still drives a 2001 Honda Accord with an inline four internal combustion engine. Things darn near bulletproof. Now with GM, they are leaning heavily into EVs. That's not where the market is going. That's not what the consumer wants, but that's what GM wants. And EVs for the most part are highly unprofitable in the short term, especially as, do, as you do have to build out that infrastructure and you have to have a whole new set of engineers, a whole new skill set you need to hire for. It's a dramatic transformation on the company. And GM is still losing money on most of the EVs that they're selling. GM is historically good at making a good old fashioned V8. I mean, there's all those things where they may have not invented it, but they sure as heck perfected it in many regards. Well, especially when they had three pedal Camaros and Corvettes with me on transmissions. But I partially digress. Now, this news about the stock buyback comes from an old G website known as Yahoo, which used to be the Google of the day, back in the day. Now, this comes from us from Bias Souza, who's the ex executive editor at the at Yahoo Finance. And they, Mary Barra, the CEO, claims that the shares of the auto giant are undervalued amid the future of profitable EVs that will be rolling out their manufacturing plants. And now's the, buy the, time, to, now's the time to buy their stock, which... Again, it will take a long time. I suspect they might someday make a profit on EVs. Most companies get to that price point. They, over time, you can make a profit on it, but there's going to there's be mounting losses. Ford is still losing billions of dollars on their Ford E-Series, or the division of Ford that they actually divided up for the EV category. 
Now, it looks like specifically last week they had news that they were going to do a $10 billion stock buyback and tacked on, and more importantly, a 33% increase in their dividends, which caused the news of the company stock to go up by about 10%. Now, dividends, that's a big deal for stocks. It's sometimes the primary reason people even invest in some stocks. Rudimentary speaking, if not into finance or stocks, and again, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm telling you to buy what, stock, what stocks to buy or not. It's one of those instances where I think of it as the company rewarding you for investing in them. So usually sometimes people companies will pay dividend dividends on a quarterly year quarterly or a yearly basis. So every quarter, depending on how many shares of the company you have, they usually give a percentage of the company. So let's say you have 10 shares of GM stock, they're gonna give it out 10 cents per share. That means you would get a dollar in dividends from the company. It's a great incentive not just to buy the stock, but to hold their stock. Because again, if they're paying you to keep the stock, you're less likely to sell it. Now Mary Barra also said, quote, it's demonstrating our confidence in our strategy and our ability to grow, generate cash flow, as well as strong margins, unquote. Which, historically speaking, Cadillac is a very profitable brand for General Motors. And they have become more profitable as they moved away from subcompact vehicles. It's one of the reasons you've seen so few economic cars in the automotive industry. I mean, General Motors used to make the Chevy Cruze, which actually, a little biased, I owned one. I love my little... Chevy Cruze Eco with a stick shift was a fun car growing, oh, as I say, growing up. I was an adult when I bought it, but it got great fuel economy, had manual transmission. It was, it was a fun little car. And it was an affordable price point. I believe I bought mine used with 4,000 miles for about $16,438, right about there. And for many people, it was a great entry level vehicle, but all those vehicles, they lose money on. I remember when I was in the automotive community, it was rumored that the dealerships lost $425 every time they sold a Chevy Cruze. The only way they made money or broke even also with financing accessories and then the manufacturer would give you like a gift card if you're a sales rep to sell it for like a hundred bucks so they're not cash cows so that's why it's not good for people who are trying to get an entry-level vehicle those vehicles are disappearing from the market that's why the average price point in the u.s is about the average price of a new vehicle sold in the u.s is about close to fifty two thousand dollars in 2023 it's getting very expensive now with gm she also reiterated, she goes on to say she really reiterated a plan for GM to hit a low single digit profit margin on EV operations by the end of 2025. And again, her plan is still to be full EV by 2035. And she says, quote, I'm personally not happy where the share price is, unquote. Well, I won't either. Under your leadership, it hasn't done great. I mean, I forget which specific year. I think it's four years ago. When did Mary become GM? Mary Barra become CEO of General Motors. And historically speaking, GM is also a pretty risky company. It's gone bankrupt about three times ever since Billy Durant founded the company by bringing together the old brands of Oldsmobile and Buick back in the day. He did win, he went bankrupt. He won the company back thanks to partnering with a French race car driver by the name of Louis Chevrolet. They built up Chevrolet to the point where he could buy back General Motors. Unfortunately, he lost control of the company again when they got bankrupt. And then very famously, they went bankrupt again in 2009, in part because of the 2008 recession, as well as the high cost of their labor, as well as a myriad of, of other legacy costs in terms of retirement and pensions and a lot of costs. So it looks like she became CEO in 2000. Can't be right, really. Was it 2014? Is time going by that quick? Yeah, sure. she's been the CEO since 2014. And she made a lot of headlines being the first female CEO of the big three. Although, I don't know how many accolades they're giving her because, again, I mean, the five-year stock trend is negative 16.13%. I mean, it, the other manufacturers are doing a lot better, at least in terms of their growth rates. Because I think I covered, I covered this when I was talking about the executive pay packages for the big three. The big three being Ford, Chrysler, a.k.a. Stellantis, and General Motors. And GM, over the five-year plan, they've done the worst. So... Ford, in the past five years, they've increased the value of their stock by 9.3%. As well as a GM, they've lost, they've gone down 16.13%. So I agree with her assessment that it is underperforming, especially compared to the market, but is it underperforming compared to the company? It's, is it really undervalued? That's, I mean, that's really the finance question. Are they making a silly decision? Now, this also helps reassure shareholders. 
because there's a lot of uncertainty with the company. Lots of people might be looking to sell GM, but if GM as a company is signaling, we believe this is a great price point for, we, we believe we're getting our stock at a discount because it's undervalued. And a lot of people poo-poo stock buybacks, but there are many reasons to do it. As I aforementioned, you got dividends in this case increasing. So that's a great benefit as well as the fact that they're going to reassure their shareholders. They're saying, hey, it's undervalued. We're going to increase our stake in it. Which, again, like we just said, that news helped jump the stock by about 10% in a single day. So it certainly had an effect on the market. Now, it'll be interesting to see how much their stock increases or decreases in the next 12, 24, 36 months. Because, again, they're going through a huge transformation. They believe this is the future. I mean, that's not the dealerships and the consumers are saying when you look at the feedback on the adoption rates of EVs. And, again, Tesla has a huge, huge lead to get ahead of them in manufacturing capabilities, engineering capabilities. I mean, the odds are not in GM's favor. So let me know in the comments, do you think this is a good time to buy GM stock? I mean, it is historically at a discount, but... We also, there's a lot of rumors about a recession in 2024, a lot of economic uncertainty, political uncertainty. I mean, will some vehicles be taxed into oblivion? Will, be, will there be perhaps new tax incentives where maybe you get a 15 grand off your income stat or uh, your federal taxes if you just buy an EV? The government's done it before. Will they may, maybe reinstate a new one to bolster, to artificially push that market even further into EVs? So there's a lot of uncertainty, but it'll be interesting to see. But as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have AWS and NVIDIA to team up on AI supercomputing infrastructure. Now, this news comes to us thanks to Eric Ravel over at Fox Business. And they noted that AWS and NVIDIA are partnering on AI initiatives aimed at providing supercomputing capabilities to enterprises. Now, specifically, it'll be around artificial intelligence. And the announcement came at the AWS RE event conference and features several notable projects, one major initiative being known as Project Siaba, a supercomputer that will be integrated into several AWS services. It will give NVIDIA access to a comprehensive set of AWS capabilities, including virtual private cloud encrypted networking and high-performance block storage. Now, this is going to be fascinating to see. And supercomputing, I mean, from a nerd perspective, I find it extremely fascinating how much we've changed in terms of access to data, access to computing. The cost of computing has gone down so much the past couple of decades. It's fascinating to see. I mean, you hear the joke as old as time, or at least as old since the smartphone has come along, is that you have more computing power in your pocket with your smartphone than all NASA did to get someone to land on the moon. It's amazing how fast technology keeps moving. Now, with supercomputers, one of the largest, most well-respected supercomputer companies used to be known as Cray Computing. Now, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, one of the largest tech enterprise companies out there, they make server storage networking. They historically, they bought out this huge company known as Cray Computing, I want to say about 24 months ago. And it used to be for most large enterprise businesses, you would have to invest in these extremely heavy, expensive, complex machineries known as supercomputers, and you throw them in your data center. It was a huge burden. I mean, the cost to just acquire one is, for many businesses, prohibitively expensive. Now, the nice thing about the cloud, the big allure is not just flexibility, but also the increase. you can actually access that computing power pretty economically. Now, you kind of reap what you sell, you, you get screwed over, you paid a lot of money to actually get your data back in the cloud, but most people don't think about that part of the equation. Now, that being said, having this as a service and building upon AWS so that businesses can get some of this enterprise supercomputer, that's going to be revolutionary. So instead of having to buy one of these large, I mean, some of these machines are larger than Volkswagens for its Cray computing machines. If you can just have that as a service and swipe the credit card using your AWS account, that's going to empower a lot of businesses and it's going to be revolutionary to say the least. Now, they also noted that the Project CBUT will be used for research and development aimed at advancing AI for large language models, graphics, including images, videos, and 3D generation, in addition to simulations, digital body, robotics, self-driving cars, earth, to climate prediction and more, which makes sense. NVIDIA is perhaps the most well-respected graphics cards company on the planet. I mean, when I built the editing PC for the podcast, we got the, at least the NVIDIA designed Gigabyte manufactured, there's the 3080 Ti, and it allows us to render a video, shoot, an hour-long interview with someone that's about 700 gigs. It can render that video in about 20 minutes. This is pretty darn impressive. And thankfully, it compresses the video, so the amount of storage is a lot much less. Now, 
scrolling through the audio call, they also know that AWS NVIDIA will also partner in powering NVIDIA G, uh, sorry, DGX Cloud, an AI supercomputing service that gives enterprises access to multi-node supercomputing to train complex LLMs and generative AI models. It will be integrated with NVIDIA AI enterprise software and provide customers with direct access to NVIDIA's AI experts. Amazon will become the first cloud provider to offer NVIDIA's GH200 Grasshopper Superchips, which, A-plus for marketing. I'm sure there's no actual parts of Grasshoppers in the chips itself. That'd be a biohazard, of course. But that does sound kind of cool. Now, nevertheless, they say that this Grasshopper Superchips with multi-node NV link technology in its elastic cloud compute platform. The NVIDIA Superchips will allow Amazon EC2 to provide up to 20 terabytes of memory to power terabyte scale workloads. 20 terabytes. That's astronomical. It's one of those fascinating things. When I, you know, one of my first laptops, it was a really, it was a high-end gaming computer back in the day. It was a good old HP Pavilion DV7, the first laptop with a Blu-ray player, which, yes, does age me quite a bit since now Blu-ray is, some say antiquated, but it's still around. But back then it was bleeding edge. And that one came with a spinning hard drive and it was a little under five, oh, you know, it says 500 gigabytes, but you have to render it or format it, sorry. So it's about 500 gigabyte for that hard drive. And this is petabytes. So people think a terabyte is a lot, petabytes even more. That is a lot. Now, of course, the million dollar question is how much it's going to cost on your AWS account when you're swiping that credit card. And as we see these applications that they're building them for, I mean, this, there's a lot of use cases where this is going to make sense. And a lot of businesses are going to greatly benefit from this. It'll be interesting to see how much it changes technology and how much it changes the integration. But as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Disney CEO Bob Iger saying the TGD channels are not for sale. Now, this comes after a couple months ago where there's kind of a couple of rumors saying, well, maybe they're going to sell it to... You know, sell off some legacy media like ABC, you know, ESPN, Disney Channel. Like, maybe they're going to spin off some of those because, again, the cable cutting is real. Every time, I was going to say, I've actually never paid for cable in my life. Ever since I've been renting apartments and renting a house for this podcast, or not this podcast, every podcast is a contributing factor why I chose this, this rental property. It's one of those instances where I never even thought to ask for cable. And when I'm setting up the internet... They always ask you, oh, do you want to add cable for 20 bucks a month or whatever the rate is? And I always say no, partially because my TV is from 1984. It's so a good old OG, oh, 84, 86. It's a Sony Trinitron from my, when my dad was in college. But it's one of those instances, oh, I'll use it for restaurant gaming, but it's one of those instances where it's not a lot of value to be brought by cable anymore. And more and more people are starting to turn those old cable boxes off and just stream everything. Which, again, there's pros and cons to that business model as well. But it's hard to beat the convenience of all these streaming platforms. So I actually was speculating. I thought they would have sold these channels off so they could fund their other initiative known as Disney Plus, their streaming platform, which, again, is still bleeding money for now. It, more we talk about it, their losses are mounting, of course, in the billions. But the amount they're losing every fiscal quarter on Disney Plus is decreasing. And when I say decreasing, I mean it's getting closer to break even. Again, there's still, I think, a few, quite a few fiscal quarters from actually breaking even. Yellow making profit on Disney Plus. So it'll be interesting to see if and when they do get to that break point. But apparently they're not going to sell the TV channels to fuel the future initiatives. Now, let's see here. This comes to us thanks to Deadline. And it comes with an interview with Bob Iger. And he said they never intended to affix a for sale sign to ABC, local stations, or other linear networks. And they also know that media coverage of his comments he maintained more complex version. He continued to say, quote, the business model that those linear linear channels rested on and have succeeded on top for decades has been one of the most strategic challenges during the past year since he rejoined the company. Quote, sometimes when I'm looking for a reaction at my own thought process, I like to test that process in public, particularly in ways that I might be able to get a reaction from the investment community, unquote. So is that, is that a nice way of saying you just say something and kind of see what happens to the stock price? Which, I guess that kind of makes sense. I'd be a little worried if I was a shareholder of Disney. Because he's basically just testing water. He goes, oh yeah, I think I sell this. And the stock goes up a lot because of that news. 
I guess it's fair to say that that's what the community or the investment community would like. So an interesting strategy. I don't know. I don't know if there are any legalities or nuances if you are or are not to allowed to intentionally do that. Now, he also noted that quote. So my thought was that the, at the time I would essentially be public with that thought process. Unquote. And then he continues to say, you know, like all of our assets, unquote, like all of our assets, we are consist constantly evaluating what is in their value to the company today, what could be their t value tomorrow, and what is their growth business, unquote. Which, I, I mean, again, based on all those comments, they, I mean, they're not growing. I mean, ESPN is still profitable. They're still making money, but the growth rate in terms of how many people are signing up for these services, no, it's, it's been declining for quite some time. Which again, that makes me wonder. I mean, how how is this strategically part of your business? I mean, I don't think anyone would say they're. I don't really think they're a core part of Disney. They're part of the legacy. They did help build Disney, and I guess I certainly see a value having something like a Disney Plus channel dedicated to increasing the value, increasing the eyeballs on your intellectual property, and then you can sell more toys, more merchandise, and more ancillary products. But for stuff like ABC and ESPN, I mean, it almost seems like they should just spin off ESPN and have it be a separate publicly traded company. And hopefully, ideally, they get the politics out of the sports balls, but I don't think that's realistic. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to Disney if they actually ever do really sell those legacy media channels, or if they hold on to them for a couple more years and somehow try to gain some more value out of them. We shall see. Other interesting, going on to the cultural news, you have Elon Musk telling advertisers to go F yourself and he will not be blackmailed. Now, this coming after a couple days in which you had a myriad of advertisers all leave Twitter, or as 18 people call it, X, because they claimed Elon Musk was anti-Semitic. Uh, Semitic. My enunciations. If you click subscribe, it may increase my speaking proficiencies and my enunciation capabilities. I'm not a doctor, full transparency. But I'm just saying it's worth a shot. It could very well help improve my speaking capabilities and decrease the number of ineptitudes and social social faux pas I have while speaking. Time shall tell in that regard. Now, a lot of these likes, a lot of these major companies all withdrew their funding of their advertisers from Twitter because they were accused of being anti-Semitic by Media Matters, which is being sued by Elon Musk, and I think it'll be successful. Where allegedly Media Matters signed up for anti-Semitic accounts on Twitter, and they signed up for major brands on Twitter. So they're following bad people, and they're following major brands. So they're following; the, they're choosing to follow those things, and of course, it shows up in their newsfeed. So allegedly, that's how Media Matters had to manipulate their newsfeed on Twitter, and then they're claiming that Elon and the platform is anti-Semitic. Now, I think, I think Elon will probably be successful in that lawsuit. I don't think he's anti-Semitic. He's also gone to Elon's also personally gone to Israel. He's spoken with the exact. I was, I mean. Uh, all my background in this business, so I was about to say, speak with to spoke with the executives in Israel. No, he spoke with the political leaders in Israel. Now, he also had the most hip, hypocritical thing I've ever seen in history. He even had IBM leaving Twitter X, saying that Elon was anti-Semitic. IBM. Now, one of the most darkest books I've ever read, and also fascinating business books, is called IBM and the Holocaust. Their founder, Mr. Watson. He got the highest award possible by a non-German citizen from Adolf Hitler. They were the brainchild, they were the business mechanism that allowed Germany to commit some of the most horrific acts in history. IBM kept track of numbers, let me say that much, and they used a tabulation machine. They didn't just keep track of people, since they did the census, they knew who the people were, where they were doing, what, they were, what their religious affiliations were. They also kept track of the people. They also kept track of logistics for everything from moving supply chains of people, moving supply chains of ammunition, and they made everything more efficient. It's one of those horrific acts in history. Now, IBM, when the book came out, it's called IBM and the Holocaust by Edwin Black. I recommend that you read it. It's a fascinating tale. Coincidentally, of course, when the book came out, IBM, again, admitted no wrongdoing, but they uh, happened to give a $3 million, I believe it was a $3 million, a multi-million dollar donation to the Holocaust Museum. Coincidence, of course. And IBM is saying, oh yeah, Elon Musk is anti-Semitic. Really? That's, 
that's personally what got my eyebrows raised and got me to look into the situation. And of course, a good rule of thumb is not to believe the mainstream media to begin with, but that's where I thought, no, these companies, that's not the real reason they're doing it. They're doing it because Elon Musk, I believe, is not bending the knee to mass censorship. That's my three cents in that regard. Now, this is reported on Twitter thanks to Colin Rugg, and he said, quote, Breaking, Elon Musk tells advertisers to go F themselves if they are going to try to blackmail him on his own platform. And this is exactly why Elon Musk is the person, perfect person to buy Twitter. And that got 10.4 million views. And more likes than I could possibly fathom. Not to brag, but I think I did get six thumbs up on my last video. Humble brag. Although, it's all about quality over quantity. They were the best thumbs up of all time. The best, as some might say. Now, this got 139,000 likes. And without further ado, it's only about 23 seconds long. I'll go ahead and play Elon. It looks like he is at a DealBook Summit. It looks like it's maybe sponsored, ironically, by the New York Times. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, you don't want that? Huh. And many are speculating that's a reference to Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney, which... We'll talk about their, well, they do a lot of dark things as well, ironically and interestingly enough. The only thing that was missing from that video is that the old gangster movie music where you have the cool pixelated glasses drop on Elon and maybe a little gold chain. I dare not try to actually describe the music or try to hum the music because I'll butcher it, of course. And of course, I suspect a lot of the comments will be overall overwhelmingly in favor of Elon, but let's dive in and find out. One of the first comments comes from Kevin M. Nelson. It says, quote, Growing pains for X, but they will emerge bigger and better with quality advertisers, unquote. Getting 5.1 thousand likes. Kyle Rugg replied to him saying, yep, more creators are upset with payouts. Just be patient. Growing pains are part of the process. The final product will be worth it, unquote. Getting 3.4 thousand likes. Scrolling down here. Kazin Zasta says, quote, Elon throwing down the gauntlet, unquote, getting 3.3, or sorry, 3.4 thousand likes. Callan responded to that saying, quote, he can't be bought, fire emoji. It got 3.9 thousand likes. Let's scroll down even more. First word says, quote, some people have F you money. Elon Musk has F all you money, unquote. Got 3.5 thousand likes. Robin Valencia says, quote, this is a very re appropriate response to the advertisers. Free speech is more important than their money and false outreach, unquote. Got 1.9 thousand likes. Oh, we do have a contrarian statement. I thought it was going to be overwhelming. Well, it's still overwhelming by the volume, but Luke Zalski says, quote, it's neither blackmail nor censorship. It's free market capitalism. And Elon is grandstanding because it will drum up traffic and support from state news goobers out there who credulously parrot his talking points and benefit financially from his ad revenue sharing program. That did get 129 likes. Let's see if you have other, over, other statements or major comments here. Glenda says, quote, they're losing out and also being addicted to the boycott list all over the place, or added, sorry, to the boycott place. If Elon Musk comes out with a smartphone, it's game over, unquote, getting 809 likes, which would be revolutionary, but he would also have, a, he would need to develop his own operating system. He needs an OS, and he would need his own app store, because one of the basic, biggest issues with smartphones, doesn't matter if you buy a Samsung, or, I'm trying to think of a competitor to Samsung, let's be realistic, how many are there? Samsung, uh... Yeah, the phone market's kind of a duopoly. Basically, you have Apple and Samsung with a majority of the market share. And Apple has their own Apple Store for all the apps. And Samsung, because it's a Google Android operating system, which is the major operating system for smartphones, they have the Google Play Store. So, yeah, this is what happened to Parler. They took that app off the App Store. So, the only way you can realistically overcome that obstacle is to create your own store, which you you need a unfathomable amount of resources, but it would certainly make a dent in the universe, I believe, for the better. It'll be interesting to see if anyone actually tries that. 
quote, we shall see. Miss Densoko says, quote, this is why I have so much respect for Elon. Getting 289 likes. Let's see here. I think we found the needle in the haystack. That one negative one was the first time I've seen him I've, I've seen him through all the scrolling. Julio Morello says, quote, Elon has taken the gloves off. I'm quoting 851 likes. Let's see here. Pismo says, quote, I love the look on the interviewer's face. His is speechless, unquote. Getting 246 likes. Carolina says, quote, this makes me respect Elon Musk even more. Go F yourself, you advertisers. Getting 414 likes. Let's see here. Yeah, so we, I was going to say, Neil in the Haystack, we did find the, the, legend, the apparently the one negative one. And again, it'll be interesting to see how is he going to make Twitter X viable from a business perspective, from a fiscal perspective? And again, I highly recommend paying for Twitter or X Plus or whatever they call their upgrade subscription process. I did for my personal profile, and I subsequently will be planning on doing that for my IT company or my media company or my media you know, podcast, The Topping Show. So I mean, every penny counts. But again, like Apple alone, they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars. How is he going to replace that lost revenue now? I mean, you need a lot of people to do it. But if you want to be free from advertisers and that type of scrutiny and that calls for censorship, that's what you need. You need to have everyone paying for it. And they were on track. The rumor was they're going to break even um, shortly or early in 2024. But after all these advertisers just left, I'm debating how much longer could it take and how are they going to offset that revenue loss? I know they're going to have some additional features. They're going to eventually increase the capabilities. They're going to put some financing features in there, and maybe they'll take a percentage of every sale, like Visa does for uh, transactions. So it'll be interesting to see. Absolutely love seeing someone stand up for free speech, as that's unfortunately become all too rare these days. But it'll be interesting to see what happens to the viability of X or Twitter in the future. Other fascinating cultural news you have Mark Cuban selling his stake in the Dallas Mavericks as well as leaving Shark Tank. Now, he is perhaps one of the most well-known folks in the good old freedom state of Texas. And he bought the company when it is basically worth nothing. When I say company, I mean the Dallas Mavericks. And now it looks like the deal is valued about $3.5 billion. And he bought the Mavericks for basically nothing. $285 million back in 2000. So in 23 years, that's a pretty darn good ROI, to say the least. And that's in addition to all the sales he's getting from all the merchandising, the advertising. That is a hugely profitable venture, to say the least. And Americans love them, the sports balls. Now, it looks like he's selling a majority stake to the NBA franchise, uh, in the franchise, to Miriam Adelson of the Las Vegas Sands. It looks like Cuban will keep shares in the team and have, quote, Full control of the basketball operations, unquote. Now, that's very interesting to say the least. And there's a lot of speculation on, oh, when's Texas going to legalize gambling? Maybe that's going to be an integration. And with sports balls especially, there's become an exponential increase in association with the gambling with the sports balls teams because there's so many eyeballs on it already. People are already gambling on it. So it'll be interesting to see if that's an additional revenue stream and how this might transform it. And you'll see him leaving Shark Tank I mean, he might as well have been the face for the show. When you think about Shark Tank, I believe he's also been on the show the longest. He was the one who actually, I think, really improved the show from a, I would say, from a entrepreneurial perspective, and some would also argue from a moral perspective. Prior to Mark Cuban stepping in and telling ABC that we're going to stop this, they would act, they, the channel, the TV channel, and I believe it was ABC, they would actually take a percentage of equity from every entrepreneur who wanted to show up on the show. So if you showed up on Shark Tank to pitch your deal and they approved it, they actually would take a like a, a percentage equity of the company as well, which de-incentivizes entrepreneurs to actually go on the show. And he's also made some fantastic picks. I mean, a lot of the products that he chooses have gone on to be hugely successful. And he tells that everyone's, or Mark Cuban, when he's asked for additional comments, he's saying he's going to start to exponentially increase his focus on costplusdrugs.com, which is a business he founded, I believe, probably about two years ago with the goal of providing affordable pharmaceutical solutions for uh, consumers, which is a big business opportunity. 
a lot of the markups on these pharmaceutical drugs, I mean, they're, you're talking about hundreds, sometimes thousand percent markups on these things. Of course, the caveat is it's also an issue with insurance because insurance will offset the cost. There's a lot of variables in that. I think the best way you can possibly get that ROI is if you have people without insurance who are looking for the biggest discount because they're directly paying for it. But that's just my three cents on that additional business model that he's gone after. But it'll be interesting to see, there's a lot of fans of Mark Cuban. It looks like he's gonna be involved still. And I'm sure he's still an admit sports balls fan. And it'll be interesting to see, I mean, he, from an entrepreneurial perspective, he built that from the ground up. I mean, he he shared all these cool stories on the podcast where, I mean, he got on the phone, he cold called people. He, he was out there selling tickets to get the audience to come back and watch the game revolutionized the whole team culture he ramped them around kind of that winning spirit hugely successful it'll be interesting to see i wonder do you think people maybe stop going to the games a little bit because he's not there as much or he's not technically owner it sounds like he's still going to be involved and it'll be interesting one of his i was gonna say they actually quoted one of his pitches when he cold called people and he said well, this is you know back in the day when he first bought the company he said quote ma'am i know you've been to the, You've been to a Magic game before, but did you realize it's now less expensive than a family meal at McDonald's? Our tickets start at just $8. Why not come and try us out? The first game's on me, unquote. I mean, that's awesome. The number, there's so, a lot of people, there's a, very few people actually get in the trenches, so to say, and do that type of work. It's also a great message to show to the team that, you know, not only can you do it, but you've come from that. You're willing to put in the sweat equity again. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to the team going forward. But as I always say, time shall tell. Unless my computer freezes. <laughs> now going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek on climate change agenda going viral. Now it looks like this is him riding a good old train, or is it a train? Let's see here. But he posted this on the Twitter, or as you know, 18 people call it X on his personal account. And it got over a million views, or 1.4 million views in a day, which is pretty darn impressive to say the least. And it's only about two and a half minutes long here. So I'll go ahead, and with, without further ado, I'll go ahead and play that. The GOP establishment does not approve of this message, particularly the GOP establishment in Iowa, where I am right now. The carbon capture pipeline, the CO2 pipeline. This is the issue you're not supposed to touch. The political consultants tell you to stay away from it like the plague. Well, I refuse to be controlled. Here's what's happening. The global climate change agenda is a hoax. And the US government is bending the knee to that hoax by enacting, and they have for a couple of decades now, incentives that effectively pay ethanol producers and others for capturing carbon dioxide and then burying it in the ground by building pipelines from the state of Iowa, ending in the state of North Dakota and otherwise, to capture that carbon dioxide. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this is totally senseless, among them the fact that carbon dioxide is plant food, and among them that there's also other alternatives to do this without a pipeline, such as through methanol conversion. But put that to one side. The real issue here is that many farmers in the state of Iowa and South Dakota and elsewhere do not want that pipeline running through their land, nor do they actually want to sell their land. So the politicians in Iowa including, and this is the important part, the Republican establishment have supported eminent domain to seize the property of those farmers. That's offensive. It's mm -hmm. arguably unconstitutional. Morally vacuous to say the least. Agreed. And does not accord. If you ever think you own your house or your land, just look up eminent domain and see what your government is doing to you, the people that they're supposed to be supporting. And protecting or so they say with the laws of eminent domain yet the reality is no other republican politician certainly presidential candidate has the stones to say a thing about it presumably because it will make the republican establishment in iowa not look very good for their failure of the farmers in iowa so on friday at 12 o'clock i'm going to host an event with the free soil coalition who has been incredibly focused on this issue we should be able to talk about this in the open. Let's have a debate about the merits. Is there some really good reason why eminent domain needs to be used to unwillingly seize the land belonging to farmers so that they can build some sort of carbon dioxide pipeline to carry it all the way from Iowa into the ground in North Dakota? If so, 
the folks who are in favor of this, including the political class, shouldn't be afraid to hide from that debate. Yet what they're doing right now is telling politicians like me to shut up, sit down, do as you're told, and stay away from this issue. I refuse to be controlled, and I think we should have that debate and discussion out in the open, and I'm not afraid to say it. So he brings up a good point, being that, you know, he's the first person to actually talk about this. Now, going to the comments section, again, I got about 1.4 million views and 22,000 likes when it came out a couple days ago. And someone by the name of, let's see here, scrolling through the comments, one of the top comments comes from Proud, Proud Patriot. This person says, quote, they really aren't GOP anymore. It's just an extension of the Democratic Party made to feel like we have a choice, unquote, getting 818 likes, which I think a lot of people have a lot of sentiment and agreement with that statement, as noted in you know, supported by the number of likes. Because again, with me, my one of my passions, one of the things I'm fascinated about, one of the things I um, think is a human right is the right to defend yourself, the right to bear arms, the Second Amendment. And for my whole life, the Republicans have always said, we are believers in the Second Amendment, we're going to stand up for your rights. The NFA National Firearms Act passed in 1934. They've had almost 100 years to repeal that, and they haven't? And Republicans, at one point in my life, a couple years ago, they had the president, they had the House of Representatives, they had the Senate. They couldn't even get suppressors off the NFA so that suppressors could be purchased with a standard 4473 background check, paper, uh, paperwork, paperwork and subsequent background check. No, they couldn't even do that. So to this day, if you want to buy a suppressor to protect your ears in the United States, you need to not only do a 4473 as well as a background check, but you also need to have a photo, a passport photo taken, you have to have your fingerprints done. You have to have this long, basically a nine-month waiting period because of the ineptitudes of the government where you have to actually get a physical tax stamp. You have to pay a $200 tax stamp. Thank God it wasn't adjusted for inflation. $200 in 1934 equates to about $4,200 now. And the process takes about nine months for something that is, a, is your right. Imagine if it took nine months to vote. Would anyone stand for that? No. But again, Republicans kept saying, we, we're going to fight for your gun rights. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for the small gains we've gotten throughout the years. But they keep saying we're big into the Second Amendment. You're, wh wh why can't you get these th simple things replaced? Or rather, just get rid of them completely, not just replace. I mean, get rid of it. Repeal it. And yet, there's only like one or two Republican candidates or, and people in government who are adamant about that. Most of them don't bring it up, or they just use the same cliche talking points, like, I believe in the right to bear arms. Like, yes, that... Okay, you're saying that, but how are you going to get the job done? What are you going to do? So I think more and more people are having the sentiment of, well, what's the GOP doing? They're saying a lot of things, but are they really fighting the good fight? Are they just clocking in and clocking out like a mediocre employee, just putting in the bare mile minimums like make, well, I believe the salary for those, what is it, House of Representatives making a quarter million dollars plus retirement plus health care benefits? Needless to say, I'm pessimistic to say the least. Now, going back to the comments section, someone by the name of Westy says, quote, Ronna will take care of it. And it is a, it looks like an AI-generated picture of Ronna McDaniel, who is the head of the RNC, dressed up as a clown. Which, I'm going to say it's alleged. It, it is, it's all too real in terms of metaphors, since, again, the RNC has the lowest amount of funds generated and the greatest amount of losses under her ineptitudes of leadership. Again, I have no idea how she sells the job. And they got 561 likes. Someone by the name of Andrew Wong says, quote, seeing the usual suspects pushing climate change made a skeptic out of me, unquote. They got 171 likes. Additional comments, you have someone by the name of Stormy Knight says, quote, they don't realize that by going after farms, that will be one step too far, unquote. Getting 111 likes. Black Dumpling says, quote, I didn't even know this was a thing. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. Unquote. Getting 360 likes. John Novith Raven Droppeth says, quote, Farmers are the lifeblood of any given society and government should stay out of their land and their liberty, period. Unquote. Getting 113 likes. Luke says, quote, Funny how DeSantis and Trump will only bring up this issue because Vivek is making it an issue. Vivek is a real swamp drainer and whistleblower, unquote, getting 428 likes. Let's see here. Melvis says, quote, if they were serious, they'd be expanding nuclear. It's a grift, unquote, getting 70 likes, which, I mean, yes, nuclear is one of the cleanest, most efficient forms of generating power that we have. And yet, 
the U.S. doesn't go all in on that, which is ridiculous. Some might argue nuclear power is actually 100% renewable and recyclable because the byproduct is depleted uranium, which is used by the military for tank busters because it is one of the most dense materials on the planet. Fun little fact of the day. Someone by the name of Y says, quote, I'm now interested in seeing if they do and if this becomes a larger issue going forth. You already have people talking about the northern border, unquote, getting 65 likes. C says, quote, the only conservative left standing is Vivek, the real deal, unquote, getting 93 likes. Again, it'll be interesting to see how much this translates to the polls, because again, that's the issue. Vivek is saying a lot of great things. He's getting a lot of social media attention. He's, I would argue, actually, he's arguably the most successful Republican nominee in terms of social media. He has a lot of the highest interactions, a lot of the most likes, and yet he's about half of Nikki Haley in terms of the amount of poll or votes he's getting for the Republican nominee in all of these preliminary polls. She's about 10%, and this is the poll aggregator known as 530, I think it's 539. It is a aggregator that takes all the polls and you know averages them together. That average of that is about between five and seven points ahead of him in the polls when you look at Nikki Haley's numbers. DeSantis, so Nikki Haley is around 10%, DeSantis is usually around 13%. Vivek is usually around 5%, and Trump's all the way up at like 57 to 61% on average. So it'll be interesting to see how much of this translates to the polls, or why isn't it? Is it because people aren't seeing it, or people don't agree with it? If you, Most of the comments when we review his Twitter, or his X, whatever you call, call it, social media company, I mean, most of the comments are overwhelmingly uh, supportive of Vivek. I think the worst take he ever had, or worst tweet he had, about, had about 50-50 split in, return, in regards to the feedback. So it'll be fascinating to see these statements help push him ahead in the polls or you know, it just doesn't translate. But as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have the UAW deal to cost General Motors $9.3 billion and consumers $575 per vehicle. Lovely news for the consumers. Oh wait, no, that's the opposite. Interesting, so wait a minute. Other competitors are making a more affordable product at a lower price point. I wonder what the future will bring. We'll see. Now, joking aside, or well, I don't know how much of a joke that is really. Now, specifically, they said this strike, let's see here. This is thanks to Reuters. They said, quote, General Motors said last Wednesday, it's new labor deal after a lengthy US strike will cost it $9.3 billion. Now the buyback, I also know the stock buyback, which actually does add value to the shareholders and the people they actually invest in the company as well. But they also lowered their 2023 profit expectations after the UAW strike. Let's see here. So specifically, this is covering the contract. So the $9.3 billion in additional costs through 2028 for its agreement with the UAW and Canadian uh, Union Unit 4 translates to about $575 per vehicle over the life of the deal. GM's new guidance reduced expected net income attributable to shareholders for 2023 to a range of 9.1 billion to 9.7 billion compared to the previous outlook of 9.3 billion to 10.7 billion. This includes the estimated 1.1 billion earnings before interest tax adjusted impact from the UAW strike, which lasted just over six weeks, primarily from lost production. The total impact of in 2023 is 1.3 billion, including the higher wages and benefits deal. When asked for comment, Mary Barrow says, quote, now that we have ratified the contract and a clear path forward that includes greater operating investment efficiencies, we can resume returning capital to shareholders per our plan, unquote. Hopefully those efficiencies include a plan for a exponential increase in the use of robotic technologies for the assembly and, you know, actually making the vehicles. It's one of those instances where, again, Tesla has a huge leap in balance in that regards as well. It's going to be fascinating to see if GM can actually beat them or not. The reason I, when I talk about the UAW, I usually keep them in the politics part of the podcast because UAW is one of the largest political contributors when it comes to presidential elections, governor elections, there's a lot of elections they get involved with and they helped get certain people get elected, which hilariously and ironically, they complained about hyperinflation, the union being, they complained about inflation and making less money. It, well, the people you voted for helped cause inflation. And by the way, they're outlawing the vehicles you produce. So the most profitable vehicles that are manufactured by the big three, the big three being Ford, GM, and Stellantis, are internal combustion engines. 
the GM may not have invented the V8, but they sure as heck perfected it in many regards, especially when it's mounted, well, they should all be default mounted and coupled with a manual transmission, also known as having three pedals. A stick shift is the best experience bar none, but the US government is actually making those products illegal with de facto bans thanks to tailplate emission standards being ridiculously high and increasing those standards so much so that the only way these companies can meet these fleet averages is by offsetting with EV productions, which are less profitable, especially in the short term for these companies, which means less bonuses for the employees, less profit for the shareholders. It's not great news. So that's why, long story short, that's always part of the political part of the politics because there's so much political influence. All, they also endorse you know, presidential nominees and candidates and the unions vote heavily. They execute voting plans very efficiently in terms of they get the vote out quite a bit, which is ironic that they cause their own problems, but nevertheless, they do vote. Now, they also know that they are going to cut costs at cruise, which suspended all that, which is their AI driving or driverless vehicle. And that even though they had a lot of crashes and losses with that one, Mary Barrow, as I said, she was disappointed by EV production this year due to difficulties with you know battery module assembly. So it'll be interesting to see this huge cost $9.3 billion. And again, at a time where people can barely afford vehicles, imagine having another $575 stuck on top. That, that You're paying for all that. It, that's a pretty penny to say the least. So it'll be interesting to see how this affects consumers if they start to move away from you know the big three products or if they don't care that you know it costs that much more to assemble all of these vehicles. As I say time, shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, saying that businesses should quote-unquote help Nikki Haley become the Republican nominee. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I suspect if you click the subscribe button, it could cure my stuttering and speaking ineptitudes. It's not 100% guaranteed. Very few things in life are. However, it very well could assist as I continue to try to pontificate and articulate more accurately and more effectively. Time, of course, shall tell. Now, this comes from a someone on the Twitter known as Never Back Down, and they say, quote, pro-DEI, pro-amnesty Wall Street CEO and Democrat Jamie Dimon, quote, even if you're a very liberal Democrat, I urge you to help Nikki Haley because become the Republican nominee. And without further ado, I'll go ahead and play it. I did come out and make a nice statement about Nikki Haley. You did. Even You've been talking to Nikki Haley. Liberal, yes, I have. Even if you're a very liberal Democrat, I urge you, you know, help Nikki Haley too. You know, get a choice on a Republican side that might be better than Trump. I did come. And again, this is a, a lot of businesses do that. I mean, it's also known as pretty rudimentary, very simply, hedging your bets, betting, you know, placing bets on both sides of the team or betting on both teams so you win no matter what. It's also, I don't know if this is going to actually hurt Nikki Haley almost as a de facto, like a an anti-endorsement, whereas traditionally endorsement is someone saying you should vote for this person and they, you know, they'll increase the, number of the numbers in the polls. But Jamie Dimon saying she's, I mean, it sounds like, oh yeah, she's pretty much, you know, she's very similar to us, you know. If they're willing to invest in her, that means they think she, again, it's my interpretation, she's the most Democrat-like candidate and nominee. Although, interestingly enough, I think that person would actually be Chris Christie. That being said, Chris Christie is still pulling at like around 3%, whereas Nikki Haley's a lot higher. She's around 10%. She is actually getting close to overtaking DeSantis as the DeSantis campaign has shot themselves in the high-heeled boots multiple times. DeSantis started around 32, 36%, and then went down, down, and down, now he's about 13%. It is perhaps, we talk about business blunders all the time, one of the biggest political blunders I've seen in my lifetime is the DeSantis campaign. He has some great points, he has, he's done some great accomplishments in the state of Florida, but the campaign is so bad that it keeps going down to the poll exponentially. So she could very well overtake him in the next couple of weeks. It's a possibility. And it'll be interesting to see, does this actually help her? I mean, we'll go to the comments to see what the reactions are. Right now, it's, it's pretty small. I got 16,000 views and 186 comments. So interestingly enough, I, I searched for a couple of profiles or tried to search to see if, it, if the original poster or someone had posted this and it went viral, but I'm not finding it yet. Now again, I got 16,000 views, 168 uh, likes. Let me see here. It looks like most of the comments, a lot of people saying no, hell no. They're getting zero one likes. Let's see. Alex B says, quote, right because DeSantis team thinks we should make a big tent, a camping tent, 
to keep losing forever, unquote, getting one like. James Yonder says, quote, they are so scared of Ron DeSantis, it's comical, unquote, getting one like. Someone photoshopped The Shining, where they, the, I think it's The Shining, we had the two creepy girls in the hallway, and they photoshopped Nikki Haley and Hillary Clinton's faces on their bodies, and the meme next to it is just, no, that got three likes. Dump Trump says, quote, globalist, and it's a meme of someone saying it's just a globalist spin, getting seven likes. Restore Sanity 2024 says, quote, my God, the foaming from MAGA had diamonds said this about DeSantis. Getting seven likes. Skeptic says, quote, and they say the Covington kid had a punchable face, unquote, getting one like. Angelo, one of the top responses by likes, said, quote, Nikki Haley bought and paid for, unquote, getting 10 likes. Which, as I continue to scroll down, looks like that is the number one response. You also have someone by the name of Harry Paget Flashman saying, quote, because he knows she'll lose, unquote, getting three likes. Someone by the name of Carlin Crow says, quote, and today we've got BLM backing Trump and Jamie Dimon backing Haley and Trump supporters saying DeSantis is a rhino globalist. Hashtag with DeSantis getting three likes. So interestingly enough, this looks like it's, again, small sample size, it's just a couple comments, but it looks like the most favorable thing is people actually saying, all applauding, saying good things about DeSantis. Liberty says, quote, never, I don't vote for neocon rhinos that bow to corporate globalists like Frank and Diamond, unquote, getting three likes. Let's see here. Last one we'll do. We've got J.D. Angelo says, quote, if elected, Haley would work hard for the ultra-rich like Larry Fink, the Koch brothers, and Jamie Diamond. Us working-class, middle-class Americans will continue to ignore the push and be pushed aside, unquote, getting three likes. Which, again, I'm surprised Trump isn't not, ha he's not hammering that more and more is how much more money the middle class made during his administration and how those tax breaks actually helped them a lot. Again, everyone talks about the middle class. You know, it's a cliche as old time as politicians pontificating about that, but very few actually get stuff done, actually do things to help them. It'll be interesting to see if that is actually a big topic for 2024 or if it just kind of falls to the wayside as usual. But as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going over to the business blunder of the day, you have Farfetch's stock crashing by about 50% last week. Now, this is after there's a rumor that they might go private, and it's because they also had doubts support the luxury fashion e-commerce company will be taken private. Now, it looks like this particular gentleman, let's see here. Now, Richmont, which owns brand, and this comes to us thanks to MarketWatch, and they noted that Richmont, which owns brands such as Cartier and watchmaker Peugeot, is a top shareholder of Farfetch and was reportedly in talks about taking, helping the company go private. This is according to a Telegraph, the British newspaper. And Farfetch, last week and Tuesday, said that it was, quote, not reporting for third quarters, was not reporting third quarter earnings on Wednesday as planned and that it would update the market on a new date, which rather than have to close, so far this year, Farfetch shares have dropped about 75% with contrast of gains from the average S&P 500 being plus 19%. Now, Farfetch went public back in 2018. Backers include Richmond as well as Chinese Alibaba Group, which is one of the largest e-commerce platforms on the planet. I'm curious to see what's their Farfetch's, what's their Farfetch, Fetch stock, what's their long-term stock trend at Farfetch? Wow, talk about a bargain deal. And again, I don't give financial advice. They also don't pay dividends. So not much of incentive to, a little, little bit of less incentive to buy them to begin with. But it looks like their stock, as of the recording, it's about $1.09 per share. That looks like it was pretty bad last week, crashing that much. Now, the long term, the maximum, it IPO'd ooh, at $28.45 per share. So long term is down at 96.17%. The five-year trend being negative 95.21%. The past year is down 87.18%. Year to date is down 75.28%. Past six months is down negative 77.89%. And the past month, again, it's down negative 27.33%. So the company is not doing good to say the least. And we see this with other companies. Famously, Elon actually rumored that Tesla might go private a few years back. We caused the stock to fluctuate and they also spurred an investigation by the SEC. It was all those things where 
Anytime there's a rumor of acquisition or going private, there's a lot of speculative buying and selling of stocks. And the fact that, again, these companies, they should always be as fully transparent as possible with their goals, their intentions. And again, this company's long-term, their stock has gone so, I mean, it has gone so far down. I haven't even heard of this company. Now, granted, I perhaps am not their target demographic when it comes to fashion apparel. I like to buy, you know, one suit, suit up, and, you know, just make it last forever. By quality over quantity. It's my philosophy there. So it'll be interesting to see. Let me know, have you ever heard of this company? And would you invest in this company, given the great uncertainty of the outlook and the lack of performance on the stock trader ticker? It'll be interesting to see. But as I always say, time shall tell. Thank you, everyone, again, for taking the time to tune in today. Please take the time to subscribe. We're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of December, and your support is greatly appreciated. Also, leaving comments is a great way to leave me some feedback on how I can make the show better and better and improve the quality. Also, and lastly, don't forget to take time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe. Fight the good fight.